Yeah, yeah. This is Kayak Fishing Radio, and it's time for Yak Fish in Texas with your hosts, Jaron Wassel and Andrew Moxagimba. Join the conversation at kayakfishingradio.com or call the guys up at 714-816-4727. Now, it's time for Yak Fishing Texas. Here are your hosts, Jaron and Andrew. Tuesday night on Kayak Fishing Radio. Welcome to Yak Fishing Texas. We are back again for another week to yap your ear off. <laughs> uh, of course, my name is Jaron Wassel, and I'm joined with my esteemed colleague, Andrew Moxagemba. And tonight we're going to be focusing on a pretty interesting story, some offshore kayak fishing, and we're going to have a guest on. He's probably one of the most accomplished offshore kayak anglers that I know. He taught me pretty much everything that I have in my armory now whenever I go offshore kayak fishing. Uh, his name is Steve Mullins. He's on the Hobie kayak fishing team. He also heads up the the Hobie Adventure Island Club here in Texas. He, does, he won't claim it, but he does. But he's going to be on later. Uh, he's actually the very first kayaker to paddle out from beach unassisted, hook, land, and successfully release a tarpon all from the kayak and then go back to the beach. I know it doesn't sound like a very huge feat to some of you people out there, especially the guys over in Florida and other places, but that's a really big feat in Texas, and you've got to cover a lot of ground and be very dedicated to the cause. Uh, So we're going to have him on later. Maybe we'll pick up on a little bit of that. But until then, uh, Andrew, I think the topic at hand that's been a buzz today on Facebook, even though the event's gone and passed, is the guy, and we touched a little bit on it last week, but the guy that was over at the Battle of the Bahamas for the Extreme Kayak Fishing Series, this is just now coming to light. His name is Mark, uh, I think his name is Matt, or let me get to where it's at. Matt Eckert, he hooked 
a 500-pound blue marlin from the kayak and fought it for 11 hours and didn't even win the billfish division of the tournament. That is absolutely insane. That's um. Did you, you can't hand it off. Yeah, you, I mean, you can't hand a real offering in a kayak. So that's unreal. <laughs> you know, it's like you got no, it's great. Yeah. So from what it seems like is you know everybody got the everybody got the word to go. The launch was made. Everybody paddled out and started doing their thing and fishing the tournament. So apparently he hadn't been looking into anything. I mean. I, he had, uh, looks like it says here that he caught a couple of blackfin all on the small side, so he decided to go out deeper and try his hand at something else when he hooked into that. And it looks like he was using goggle eye as bait of choice. And it says here as you're going, ah, this is pretty cool, man. So he was fishing 90 feet down using a Scotty downrigger. That's a, that's a first for me. I That's... You know, we talked to Joe Hector about those guys over in Florida using downriggers, but I'm this is the first time I've heard of like a billfish being hooked off of one from a kayak. But so number five wire and twelve feet of fluorocarbon, all the thirty pound power pro braid. He's using a thirty pound class rod and reel and hooks a 500-pound blue marlin and fights it for 11 hours and covers 35 miles of surface. That is insane. I mean, you know, it's, there's, always, there's always stories of kayakers catching billfish, you know, yada, yada, yada. But nothing to this degree. This is insane. I mean... The guys, you know, Jim takes clients out over in Baja, and they hook into billfish. Jim's caught them off of, in Panama and all those other areas, but nothing to this extreme. I mean, this is now. Grant, I'm not saying that Jim or nobody's hooked into a fish like this. I mean, it's very well possible they could have, but I've never heard of one fighting one this long. I mean, without destroying his gear, too. That's what's... Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a lot of time on that reel. Yeah, dude. So, so apparently, the reason why his catch was not qualified, even though, you know... And, you know, I was following, I was following a rather interesting conversation about this. You know, there's a, the editor for Kayakfish Magazine, Paul Leibowitz. He had a... He had a Facebook post today that was talking about if uh, the validity of the catch. And there were a couple of guys that really discredited Matt's catch due to the fact that they didn't agree that a leader touch constitutes as a catch. Now, everywhere I've ever been, every tournament I've ever witnessed via television or live, in a CPR catch photo release event, a leader touch is always constituted as a viable catch. Am I, am I not correct? I mean, as far as I know, I, mean, what, I don't understand what they want him to do. Well, they wanted him to bring this, a 500-pound... This, really you know, this, really 
this is really a tangent that I'm going off of with, of, of the main subject because there was there were a few guys it seemed in the conversation that they discredited for the sheer fact that he didn't harvest the fish, bring it back to shore to display. And there's no way, shape, or form, this is what they're saying as well, that they could even closely within reason estimate the size of that fish. Now, there are a lot of boat captains out there and all over the Gulf Coast, East Coast, West Coast, around the world. Those guys do that trade as a living. They've seen more sizes of fish than I could ever fathom than I will probably in my lifetime. I'm pretty sure that a seasoned captain worth his salt can look in the water and give you a ballpark figure of what a large fish like that is going to weigh. But those guys were giving him complete and utter... I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to use the terminology I choose to. I would like to, but they were giving him a bad time over that because now these guys, it seemed as if the main contributor to the conversation was from Hawaii. Now, there are a lot of those guys in Hawaii, their, their catches are killed boat side and brought back to shore. So that's how they constitute a boat as a cat or a, a a caught fish. That's what they constitute it as. It's been harvested and taken back to shore successfully. Uh, I can't say that I agree with that style of fishing 100%, but as long as you're within the law, I understand where you're going, and you're not really breaking any rules. So it all comes down to what kind of ethics you hold personally. That's my uh, That's my take on it. But... Personally, I think if you're hooked up for 11 hours and this, not only did they touch the leader once, this guy grabbed the bill of the fish. That's a catch. Even though he could not control it 100% boat side, he did the next best thing from touching the leader. He actually grabbed it. So... I guess it's going to come down to your own personal definition of what validates a catch. I mean, but I mean, just I, mean, I guess I'm being ignorant here. I mean, do they have support boats out in every area with these with these paddlers for this tournament? Oh, sure. Yeah. It, yeah. So yeah. So these guys they launched from the beach unassisted, went out, fished all day, and then came back unassisted. That that was part of the tournament regulations. Now, I'm kind of interested in how this is all going to be handled going for, going forward because I can see where there could be some modifications to the rules per se. But so this guy fought it for 11 hours and he didn't get a chance to. I don't know, man. He, he couldn't bring it back to shore. He whatever within the tournament hours. So if you can't get back within the tournament hours, your catches don't qualify. So I understand that. That's, that's pretty black and white. But 
I think that you could, if you get into a fish this large, because you never know what you're going to get into when you're out there, I think you really shouldn't have a timer on you if you hook up within that time frame. What do you think about that? No, I mean, I, I, I agree with that completely. I mean, the, the whole harvesting of the fish, too, I have an issue with, with that type of fish because, I mean, that, that's just stupid. I mean, I know it's a diff- different strokes for different folks, I guess, but to me, that's just, right. I can't justify doing that. Well, and, you know, it, it, it's not only just, it, it's, I'm not going to knock those guys one way or the other because it, it's totally within their right to do so, and they're harvesting it for food for a lot of their friends, their neighbors, their family. You know, it's not going to waste. It's a different mentality out there. It's a cultural thing. I got that. You know, no, I'm talking about in I, reference to a tournament. Right. That's what I'm saying. For, for a tournament, I don't, I don't see it. Right, especially a billfish. So, right. you know, but that's why the support boats are out there, to, ca- to catalog the catch. You know, they want to promote billfish catch and release, and they successfully did so. Now, but I, I still believe, though, you're, you shouldn't be on the clock if you hook up within the tournament hours. If I make it back after a successful catch and it took me 11 hours and I didn't get back to the beach until 8, you know, I would, I would really like to think that I'm going to get credit for what I just did. You know, like, you know just like you said, if it's, Different strokes for different folks. It's 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 Joe's tournament. He runs it amazing. It's already. Uh, I just think that maybe the rules could be tweaked just a little bit. I don't know because that that is a huge fish and that brings a ton of notoriety to the event. I mean, enormous. But right, but I mean, so, but I mean, in reality though, too. I mean, it brought notoriety. You know, it's we're talking about it. Are we almost a month out from it now? I mean, no, it's, it's already done. Conversation. What are you talking about? I mean, about? like, like it, it, I mean, it was a month ago, you know. Oh. And it's still yeah, a conversation on social media, and so I mean, it's being yeah. talked about. So I got, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. No, it, but so and then, so another thing I saw that kind of rubbed me the wrong way about one of the comments on the conversation was. So after he fought this fish for 11 hours, on that light of gear, I mean, this guy's using a Spin Fisher 6500, not a big reel by any means. He fought that thing for 11 hours, and then he couldn't physically do anything. I mean, he, he was completely spent. And so they loaded his kayak up, on the back of the boat and gave him a ride back into shore. I, I don't, I don't see how that could be held against him because, for one, if that guy is so physically spent, I think it's actually more dangerous to the angler if he were to attempt to go back in that spent. I mean. That's my opinion, and I think it's a valid way to look at it because you want to promote safety, cool, but you don't have to you don't have to bust your butt to get back in after fighting eleven hours under your own power. 
that's a feat all in itself. To me, though, you can separate the catch and acknowledge what he did from the tournament itself, you know? Yeah. Outside, outside of the tournament, I mean, the guy caught a, you know, once-in-a-lifetime fish, fought it for 11 hours, an undersized tackle, and, I mean, whoever, like, won the tournament has already been forgotten about, but what this guy did, you know, is something we're talking about, <laughs> so that's, you know, I mean, right. it doesn't really matter. Right. I mean... More, I mean, kudos again to everybody who fished it, and especially the winners. But in my opinion, this guy deserves—he deserves a trophy <laughs> or a plaque or something. Because I mean, he's a—he's a man's man. If you want to get down to it, right? I couldn't. I, I, I can't guarantee you I could pull that feet off. And if you look at this guy, he is not a—he's not a huge guy. I mean, he's a normal everyday Joe and held on 100%. So that's insane, man. It's, I don't know. It's, they did qualify it, though. And see, even the IGFA qualifies it, though, as a leader touch, as a qualifying catch. So I don't know where everybody is, where, where they can discredit this guy and his accomplishments. I, I don't find that a credible argument that you have to kill it to constitute it as a catch. So right, but that, that, that's twice this year that we know of two tournaments where it's a, a conversation over like some rule and interpretation that you know right. people are arguing over for no reason. You know, right? Exactly. So. Anyways, the, the the guy who actually won the billfish tournament, uh, I don't know the size of the fish, but he caught a white marlin. And apparently he was hooked up to the white marlin the same time this guy hooked up to the blue. And at one point, the blue marlin was pulling him straight at the guy that had the white marlin hooked up. <laughs> I, I would be... I would be running for my life if I saw that thing come out of the water at me. When we were in Baja and we were getting told by Jim and all those guys down there, you want to you wanna keep an eye on everybody at all times because as soon as someone hooks up and that fish takes off to tail walking, you need to find out where that thing is and get behind the angler immediately because that's a 500-pound missile with a spear on the end of it. Good grief. I don't even. I, I, it's just an interesting topic. I, I wanted to touch on that because you know that was that that was huge to me, in my opinion. Definitely a definitely a first for kayakers, and to me, since it was leadered and you've got a experienced boat captain there, no one's made this claim yet. But to me, that qualifies as as a the largest recorded kayak caught fish because. Paul at Kayak Fish Magazine, he's a he's come out and said that he, over the last decade he's kept track of some of the largest kayak catches that have been made, and I think the largest to up to that point that he had ever 
you know, it had been recorded, was it like a 225-pound marlin in Hawaii, but it was killed. It brought to shore, so they actually got a physical weight. Uh, this should trump it. This should be the largest kayak caught fish on record. And you have multiple witnesses, not just an angler and one boat captain. I mean, you had, uh sounded like there was a videographer out there. There were other photographers out there. So there was a crew. So it'll be really interesting to see how this as this develops, I think Joe has come out and said that he's going to hold off posting some of the videos slash photos for a later time. But I'll definitely keep my I'll be keeping my eyes peeled to see that stuff. That would be uh, that's going to be very cool to witness. And I'm sure this guy is going to be all over the place. This is going to this is definitely going to get him some notoriety. <laughs> With pen, <laughs> I would be sending pen a letter yesterday. This is what happened. I want a I want a better reel than a spin fisher. <laughs> I, I you can definitely leverage that. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, he shouldn't have to buy a reel for a long time. <laughs> I mean, you you can easily just go up to him and say, "Look, I want to be more prepared for next time, and I plan on fishing the Summer Slam series. I need a better reel." What can you do for me? Because I'm going to put your face all over kayak fishing. Pens. Those Aqua Hunter guys in Hawaii do it already. We need an East Coast presence. I think we just found. Uh, I think we just found our face. So if anybody from if anybody from Pen Reels is listening tonight, Matt Eckert is the guy you want to go after, and he needs a new spin fisher. <laughs> I'm sure his drag washers are melted. He only said it ripped off 300 yards of line initially, only. (laughs) (laughs) Only. I think the most line I've ever had ripped off initially was like 50 or 75 yards. Where was he from? Was he from Florida? Yeah, it looks like it. It looks like he's from Palm Beach Gardens. So He's another Kai. He's a, he's, a, he's a Buffalo, New York native. Sure, a long time ago, this guy never first saw himself floating out in a little plastic boat in the middle of who knows how deep of water hooked up for 11 hours. Sure, whatever. I wouldn't believe it. Yeah. No joke. But wasn't there another no, Eckert from from over there? It was a kayak fisherman on magazines. Um. Possibly. I'm not too sure. Yeah, I think I think so. Well, you Google that real quick. I'm going to go ahead and uh, Steve's on the other line. I'm going to go ahead and bring him in. Let's see what he has to say on this whole thing. Steve, you there? Hey, guys. I can hear you now. All right. Cool, man. Sorry. That's Click the button and it didn't bring you over fast enough. So, have you been listening for a little bit? Absolutely. So, what's your take on this entire thing? I mean, to me, a, a qualified catch is leadering a fish, especially at that size. Not only did he leader it, but he also grabbed the bill. That's 
physical contact, that's not just like, you know, he touched the side as it, went, as it swam by. He actually physically grabbed the fish and held it for a while until it broke loose from his hand. I, I think I'm that looking at buying a catch. pin 6500 right now. I'm looking at, looking at them on Penn's website right now, so that should tell you. <laughs> <laughs> looking for a new reel. No, that fish, Dude, was, that fish was caught, guys. I, I, I don't, you know, you can you can break it apart, but that fish was caught, particularly in the best interest of conservation. So you don't have to kill a fish to uh, have a caught and leadered fish, in my opinion. I agree 100%. And who cares if he won or lost or whatever? The guy caught a 500-pound blue marlin and had a fight of a lifetime, 11 hours out of a kayak. I mean, I, <laughs> personally, I would care less if I won the tournament. I mean, it, that, that doesn't matter. The guy, the guy has notoriety, and he's, and more importantly, he's, he went through that experience. So, um, you know, the tournament, yeah, it's a big deal. But I tell you what, that that marlin is is worth 10 times more, 100 times more than winning that tournament. Oh, for sure. Well, now with the notoriety, he's going to pick up all over through the Extreme Series, broadcasting that everywhere, the, the kayak fishing magazine, the publications, picking up and running that story. He's going to have people yeah, coming at him. Yeah, there's a lot left, of things that can right. happen. Yeah. And he'll be so talking about gonna, that until he, till he's in the grave, man. That's, that's a lifetime achievement, and a lot of people understand it some don't, but he'll literally he'll be talking about that, and he'll think about it every day for the rest of his life. That's, that's well, kind of. I kind of relate that catch, you know, to some of the guys here in Texas, because you know, within the last oh, probably five years, we've really had two notable kayak catches. With one of them being your kayak caught tarpon during the Tarpon Tomorrow tournament, and the second yeah. being our, the second being our friend Travis Sadler, who caught the sailfish from a kayak. Yeah, the sailfish. Yeah, yeah. That's that was so, outstanding. Yeah, I mean, for the granted for what the conditions typically are here and what you can find within the space that he was in, and the depth and the distance out. Yeah, that's. And also, he's competing. I don't know how many anglers were on the water that day, but it was a, it was a quite a large tournament, and <laughs> he was the one to hook up on this thing. So, yeah, that's a big deal there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, he landed that. You know, he had and he got some great picks and. You know, that was a that was a right. heck of a day. Right. There's I can't no complain. boundaries in the ocean. You know, there's no fences, so you, you never know what you're going to catch. I mean, I've I've hung a few things. I had no idea what they are. Huge fish and lost them for whatever reason. You always wonder what you know. What was that? Absolutely. Sometimes you just never but, know, and that's what that's one of those elements that keeps keeps you coming back. <laughs> Absolutely, dude. It's so always in the I was back of your mind. I was just kind of giving everybody like a background earlier in, uh, on the, in the show about like where you come from, you know, what kind of fishing that you've been doing and what you, uh, some of your accomplishments. I mean, so like I told them all, you pretty much ushered me into offshore kayak fishing. You, you taught me a lot about rigging, you know, everything from king leaders to shark leaders to bull reds, you know, you pretty much have done it. So how long have you really been on the kayak, the offshore kayak fishing scene? Cause you know, you, everywhere you go, like on Texas Kayak Fisherman, everybody references your post and stuff like that. Oh, it's been, I guess it's 10 years now. It's been 10 years, yeah. But uh, what really got, I started, what really got you, you know, I started out in the bay, just like a lot of the people that are purchasing the kayaks and they're going out for their first trip, you start in a protected bay and then, you know, you get confident and then you, you know, well, let's go offshore. 
and you keep going further and further, <laughs> catching all kinds yeah. of fish that you know are typical of kayak fishing, at least in Texas anyway. So it, it can lead you to some extreme catches, some extreme environments, which you witnessed as well. And it, in my opinion, it, it, it's quite exciting. I'm very surprised that that uh, the offshore fishing, offshore kayak fishing in Texas hasn't um, even gained more ground. I'm surprised it's not more popular than what it is now. Yeah, I mean, the offshore kayak fishing has gotten huge. I mean, everywhere you go, with so much exposure, especially now with boats being made and tailored towards that style of fishing, it's really getting right, people right. interested in that direction. So it's getting more attention than it ever used to, but I kind of see that as a two-edged sword. You know, great at getting people into a sport that I'm very passionate about, but secondly, it's kind of a haphazard way for people who don't take this, the proper uh, approach to that style of fishing. They don't necessarily follow unspoken offshore kayak fishing rules, and they can put themselves to a danger, not just themselves, but other people as well. So, you know, what are some of your takes on that? Because it, it, it definitely is a it, is, it definitely is a monster that's rearing its head. You know, we're all guilty at one point in time, but it's it's probably, I mean, best case scenario, start out in the bay, lake, river, whatever, get comfortable with your boat, and then gradually make some moves offshore. I, I hear a lot of these guys purchasing kayaks at the shows, and they're purchasing so they can go fish a tournament, an offshore tournament. Well, <laughs> have you ever fished? in a kayak offshore before, no, what kayak should I buy? Uh, it, just, it just makes my head spin when I hear that, and I've heard that a lot. And uh, it, that's not the right way to do it, obviously. You need to take a stair-step approach, a conservative approach. Go with somebody that knows what they're doing that's reputable and safe, and go with a group. That's the most important thing, particularly when you're, when you're new into the, into the scene until you get some experience under your belt, and particularly learn the weather patterns and, how to read the how to read the ocean, the swells, the wind patterns, and learn about navigation and safety. These things you need to know about. I mean, ice cream conditions. Anyone can go out and have a great day, but what happens when you're a couple miles out and you get a storm that rolls in? You know, storms these these uh, squalls in the summer can move 60 miles an hour, and they're on you before you you know as soon as you see them, they're on you in 10 minutes, and you can't do anything. Then you're then you're forced paddling it's a north wind trying to go back to shore in a 40 to 60 mile an hour wind and huge seas and you can't see anything but the but the bow of your kayak so right most likely a lot of people are just going to be paddling in circles if you don't know what to what to read there's a few things you can do obviously your gps your uh, i carry it i have a compass and you can also read the, the the wave and wind direction if you know last resort but there's a lot of things that can happen out there and you need to take all precautions but yeah, it, it's a scary thought, and particularly, it just I scratch my head, when, particularly with the, the sailing kayaks now. I mean, you're you're pushing the envelope even more there because you're relying on nature, and you know the wind patterns change, the the swell the swell conditions change, the sea state changes, and then you're before you know it, you're seven eight miles offshore, and <laughs> and you get caught in a huge storm, or the wind dies, and you're exhausted already from pedaling out. And a lot of things can happen out there, but you just you have to be prepared for it and just take it with stride, and hopefully you have some experience under your belt when something like that happens, because inevitably it will. And it's happened to me, right. it's happened to you, a lot of other people. But we've been lucky yeah. not to have any 
major incidences since uh, well the 10 years that I've been around there's been a few but not really attributed to offshore kayak fishing itself it's right more kayak yeah. general things happen but for the most part, I see people being being safe. They're following the rules. They have their they have their PFD. They have their safety devices. Their VHF radio, cell phone, and the dry pack that you can call, make calls if you need to. Aerial flares are a great thing to take out there. I have them on every trip. I even carry them in the bay now. Uh, first aid kits, extra food and water, all that's good. Strobe light is a great thing to have, particularly if you're going to be fishing in the evening. If you catch something yeah. like this guy. Like this guy caught, someone <laughs> needs to find you. A strobe's a great great way to, to signal people at night. And obviously you need to have that 360 light, too, if you're going to be out past. Yeah, he's really he's, he's really lucky that that support boat was within earshot of his VHF and was close. I think that that boat was probably close because he, uh, he hooked up close to that guy that caught the white marlin, so they were already in the vicinity to help record the catch. And then he hooked up. I mean, he could have been out anywhere. You know, I don't know how many boats Joe had patrolling the area, but just say that he was just on the outer rim of all the different fishermen. He hooked up and say he got outside of VHF earshot or didn't have a VHF. <laughs> that He could still yeah, be paddling, man. You kind of wonder what he would have done then because you have the security. If there's a support boat around, and I definitely know I've had a support boat when landing a large fish and having that support is, is golden, but or another kayaker that can help you. Uh, but those support boats are great. If you need to get on the boat and land the fish from the boat, if it's a large fish, you can do that too. It, it's just knowing that, that someone's there. I mean, particularly if that fish pulled him 35 miles. Is that, that what you said earlier? Right. What's the guy going to yep. do? 30, what's he going to – he was in a Hobie Outback, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, Hobie Outback. You ain't paddling it back. I, I love my Hobie Outback, but I wouldn't want to pedal it 35 miles any day. <laughs> Particularly <laughs> no. after landing a, a 500-pound marlin. That's just ludicrous. No, no not crazy. at all. You just, put the marlin, you just put the marlin across your bow, you know, and then it, it just helps. It makes it go a lot faster that way. That's what I would do. <laughs> just, just tail rope it and drag it in. Yeah. It take, him, yeah, take, yeah. take him three days to get in. Yeah, 11-hour ride. I was just thinking, man, that that's a that's a long that's a long time. That fish almost died of infection by the time he got it in. But, <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. That's definitely the most notable catch I've ever I've ever even heard or read about. But kudos to that guy. It, pro- it probably will be for a long time. Yeah, I, I don't see anybody breaking that anytime soon. But you never know. I mean, limits are pushed, right? Well, yeah, it was like you said, now with the sailing kayaks coming out, or not coming out, but becoming more prevalent on the offshore scene, you know, there are those guys that are taking that next step. Now, granted, there have been some guys that have already done that, say, in Australia, New Zealand, you know, in those areas where they're really pushing the limits, even when it comes to the amount of wind that they're sailing in or, you know, target species, putting themselves in situations where there's white sharks around. So there are those. Yeah. they've got other worries. But now over here, say, you know, Texas, Florida, you know, given the ability, because not only are you on a boat that has more range, but it's also a platform that gives you a lot more comfort in the fact that you feel like it can't flip over, like nothing can go wrong. 
And yeah, you're definitely more more confident in this in this sailing kayak for sure. You can be out. Well, we were out this weekend. It was uh, it, it said it said one to two foot seas, but it was three to four with with a foot and a half a chop, and the winds were blowing. Uh, I would say 18 to 20 solid with gust 25 maybe 25 plus and it was I was uh, maybe 30 percent sail and I had my wife on the the windward side and it was still coming up three four foot on one occurrence it was it was getting pretty hairy anything right happened there you know it's just yeah. the next step people are going to have to take into consideration so that's Smart just uh, don't push too much Right. Well, have other people so out off, there with you too. Right. Well, off of this, off of the safety topic, because I'm pretty sure we can beat that to death all night because we've yeah. seen so much stuff. But when it when it comes to you getting re- getting your ready or getting your gear ready for the next day, uh, what are what are some of the tips that you've got? So I mean, typically I like to pack my stuff kind of in the garage in you know, what I'm taking in the assortment that I'm taking so I can kind of run down a line the morning of and make sure I've got everything on my checklist. Is that something that you kind of take a look at and do as well? Yeah, you fish on Saturday, clean up on Sunday, start packing for your next trip Sunday evening. I was tying leaders while I was listening to you guys a minute ago, so tying my Travis Sailfish Kingfish Leader Special. So getting plenty of those for the summer. So and I like to make these things way ahead of time because I I hate coming up on a weekend where it's perfect weather and I've got to focus on making ten kingfish leaders like you know those triple and quadruple hook rigs for the ribbon fish take forever to make. But yeah, it's it's one of those things you just get better at the longer you do it. I try to to simplify it by compartmentalizing all my gear. And I use a, a waterproof tackle tray for lures, and that's one area where I keep all my hard baits. And I have all my leaders and terminal gear, um, any soft baits, small spoons, uh, knife jigs, all of that in a soft bag, and that that's that's stored in a dry bag. Um, and I pretty much keep that thing. I keep it very clean and organized, and I start packing that essentially when I get back from the trip that I just went on. Where'd you just go? So, well, we just well, we tried to fish at, Free, at Freeport, but that didn't quite work. Quintana and ended up sailing from Quintana to uh, pretty much all the way up, up Surfside, just on a general leisurely sail, just nothing else to do. The, fish, it, the water was really turbid and stirred up, and it was rough, too rough to fish, in my opinion, to have fun, let's put it that way. Plus, I had family with me, and it you know, wasn't a good fishing scenario. But, yeah, you just start packing this early and, and try to, you know, after you're cleaning – Clean it up, keep it compartmentalized in the in the same place in your crate, wherever you're going to put it, in your hatch, wherever you store it, in your dry bag. Keep it in the same place every time and cleaned and ready to go and have your leaders pre-made and uh, separate them out in Ziploc bags. Keep everything organized so you're not fiddling around, untangling leaders when you're on the water and just, just make it easy on yourself and keep your, keep your leader stock up and your uh, lures in good shape. Make sure they're not rusted and the hooks are all bent. And um, right. take care of your gear, the main thing. Rod and reels have to be cleaned and maintained and up to par. You can't have any weak links in your gear when you're offshore. It'll get exploited very quickly as soon as you catch a notable catch. And right. you end up breaking your rod or your line or your reel's not going to work and <laughs> bending out your hooks, your leader's breaking or whatnot. 
lots of stuff can happen out there when it's, when your gear is pushed. It's not like it's not like red fishing in the bay. It's a little different. Um, well, we all love that too, but it's just a, you have to prepare in different ways. Well, speaking of gear, uh, oh, go ahead, Andrew. Go ahead. Yeah, I would say like you know talking about the gear and maintainer. I'm kind of curious, you know, with the you're using that tandem island now. Do you when you come back from a trip, do you put it back together when you get home? Just kind of go through all the components because you got, I mean, all kind of do push the limits of you know a kayak and with some of those trips. Yeah. I mean, how do you how do you maintain it? Like, do you do it like a safety check every time you come back, or what? How do you do it? Anyone that's fished with me knows I'm particular about my gear, and I I clean everything and take it apart every time I come back. It's it's completely disassembled and rinsed and put back together. I got run a check through all the sail lines and and uh, all the different. Uh, terminal ends on the boat, the sail lines, the uh, harking clips, just to make sure. I check the, the bottom of the hole for cracks, um, check my rudder pin, because obviously those things, are, those things are designed to break under stress, and they do start cracking at the top, and if, it, if I see a, a hairline crack, it gets replaced, and just check the rudder lines and put it back on the trailer, assemble it up. The only thing I don't do, I don't bungee down the, uh, the outriggers. Other than that, it's, it's ready to go. Ready to go right now. Just put a few things in it. I'm good to go. Nice. But yeah, it's important to go through that. It's it it does take a lot more work. I I joke with a lot of my friends of mine, and it's just for every hour on your water, you got to prep two hours at home. It's it's just a lot more work. But you get more. And personally, and Jaron, you do too. You get more enjoyment out of fishing offshore. It's just it's a different animal altogether. I love bay fishing, but more so than anything, I look forward to to june uh, july and august so yeah three months out of the year but those are the moments you remember most at least for yeah dude least for many those are the days anyway. those are the months that you highlight every single day and you pay attention to every single weather app you've got on your phone television yep. you, got, you watch every television, day you name it dude it's, it's glued i get weather alerts just so like whenever i've got it set up so whenever the wind hits certain levels my phone goes off so I can sit there and I can start planning if I've got time out on that, on that day that I can go and fish. Absolutely. Yeah, and you see the, you see the lucky ones that get to go out during the week. And <laughs> oh, you know, when you, yeah. The ones that work are only able to go out on Saturday, maybe Sunday. It's, it's just frustrating. The weather always picks up during the weekend. It's perfect on Monday. But that's, that's just week, part of it. You know. Us weekend warriors have to live vicariously through the forum members sometimes. That's yeah, stinks, that's man. You know, the end, of, the end of the season comes set, well, October, really. You can push the limits and go further in South Texas and extend your season all the way up to November. But by October, I'm ready to hang everything up and go start fishing the marsh or something. <laughs> You're exhausted. <laughs> all the driving. and this, this, this the, It's a lot more work. It requires a lot more dedication and just motivation, well, I guess you could say. It's totally different. Well, speaking of gear, so, you know, that just I wanted to kind of touch base with you and kind of see what some of the your go-to rod and reel setups are, what you spool it with, and what you're kind of looking at. Because me personally, whenever I'm looking at it, you know, I actually carry a lot of rods for what a lot of people consider the golden standard of maybe just two. But I like to have a rod for different situations while I'm out there because I know I can effectively come and manage the surf coming back, and I know how to take care of my gear storing it. But, I mean, I like to have a, a fairly heavy setup, you know, 20 to 40-pound class rod, 7-foot, seven 7.5-foot, seven 
where I can do a variety of things, tackle a variety of different beasts, but I also like having a little bit more stout of a casting rod, kind of like the yeah. Therese wax rods. I've got one with a right. 300E. So I've got something I can cast and still handle larger species, big kings, jacks, cobia, you name it. And then I've got a smaller rod, maybe like a... I may, every once in a while I'll bring a small bay rod where I can usually use like a sabiki on or something like that and bring up some live bait. But, you know, but what's some of the, what are your go-to rod and reels and what would you recommend maybe for the beginner that's going to be getting into offshore kayak fishing and maybe kind of go key on and maybe even pick up for their first offshore rod and reel? Well, I've had to change it, actually, this, with the fishing out of the sailing kayaks, particularly this tandem. You have to upsize your gear. And I, I learned real quick that you can't use the lighter gear like you do in a typical kayak because the, the fish aren't going to pull this thing around. It's, it's, you know, with me in it, it's 500 pounds with all the gear in the kayak and everything else. It's not, it's not 300 pounds, so, and it's a lot more surface area in the water, so it's, the, the fish is pulling against a lot more drag. So I've had to upsize just a tad. Uh, but fishing from a kayak, you, you definitely need to take a bay reel because that's, that's just tons of fun out there. You never know what you're going to you're come up against. It can be uh, Spanish mackerel. You'll run into ladyfish, uh, triple tail. A lot of people don't even know what triple tail are, but you'll see those particularly when the water gets nice and green or even a light blue tint to it. You'll see those triple tail coming in up under weed beds and different kinds of things floating on the water. Um, jacks, of course, there's a ton of those around. Kingfish, you can catch those on your bay reel, but that's that's a lot of fun because they're just going to pull the kayak anyway. You just have to get down on them and get on that drag and and you know and cinch it down real good, and it'll start pulling the boat real fast. But um, there's a lot of things you can you can target just with your bay equipment as long as you have a good solid rod. And I use 30 pound braid on my on my bay gear. That's plenty. Isn't that what? Uh, Matt had on his uh, 6500 for this blue marlin. Yeah, he had 30, 30 pound braid. braid. Yeah. Yeah. Now I don't know. Well, I guess it I works. I mean, that, that reel had what 30 pounds of drag. You can easily put 20 pounds of pressure on 30 pound braid. So yeah, that's probably why. It, that's why it took him 11 hours. But he'd have been better off with 60 <laughs> or 65. But well, he'd he'd have been better off with like a, a two speed conventional. I mean, he probably would have been able to tackle that fish probably within – he probably could have slashed that time by 60%, 50%. Oh, easy, yeah. Yeah, that was – he but, was definitely undergunned. But you don't want to be undergunned out there. You don't just want to take bay gear. You'll learn that very quickly. I love uh, to take rods that I can cast with, actually all my rods and reels I can cast with now. Um, You've got to love a Corrado 300 or the equivalent – I know uh, Abu Garcia makes those Toro reels. Those are excellent reels too. That's a good option. Uh, some of the or even the wind. Reels. Oh yeah, the wind. <laughs> the tranks, the yeah. Chicago tranks. That's another good one. That that might be actually overkill on most things here in Texas. But I don't know. There's always that big fish out there. Uh, the Corrado 400 is another good one. Daiwa makes their the Daiwa Luna. Yeah, the Lunas are like kind of like the 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 big. There's like kind of like the Calcutta. Yeah, that's another good one. And these things, these Calcuttas and these Dawalunas, they ca- they cast forever, and they've got uh, a good deal of drag, 16, 17 pounds of drag. So you can spool these reels up with with 50 pound braid, put them on a good uh, 25 to 30 pound you know, boat rod, and you're pretty much good to go for anything. But 
I've uh, I've had to upsize, like I said earlier, and I use um, I love my lever drag reels for trolling, and I, I use Avid for that scenario, and I'm kind of leading leaning towards my Avid MXL just because of the line capacity. It's got over 400 yards of 65 pound braid, so if I get a runner, I can I have plenty of room to to play with. Right. Um, and I also take uh, a rod that I can cast a country mile with, and that's a uh, spinning reel. I think you you still have a, a Saragossa as well, don't you? Yeah, I still got the Saragossa 8000. Yeah, that's a good reel, too. Uh, this Obviously, the pin spin fisher that you can, it's a comparable reel, just a little bit heavier. Um, the same thing, you can cast, you can cast lures, cast half your line out almost. So you got to love that. So I'm getting away from from using bait. Obviously, I've been did that a few years ago, and primarily I like to target fish on the surface and uh, find structure where I can pull them up with lures. It's just a lot more fun. But that's those are pretty much the go-to reels, and I do take four. And that's my max. Anything more than that, you just your kayak gets cluttered up. Right. But, uh, when I'm serious, I take four. Every now and then, you'll see me out with two. <laughs> that's when I'm feeling quite leisurely. <laughs> But uh, here, here, coming up in June, I'll always have four with me. But it just gives you the flexibility. You, you, you've got the flexibility. Yeah, and you want to be ready for anything. Yeah, you, you never know what you're going to see out there. You, you might see uh, a ball of pogies or menhaden out there just going crazy, and you you don't want to pull anchor or, or get have to paddle over 150 feet. You, you know, get that spinning reel out, and you already have your – big popper or whatever you have on it, chunk that thing out there, and it'll land right right in the middle of that school of bait, and there you go. You don't even have to move. Right. Exactly. Don't worry about backlashes or anything like that. You can just let it let it fly, and I love that. But I, I agree. Haven't, <laughs> I haven't caught my 500-pound marlin on my spinning reel yet. I'm waiting on something like that. But you never know what you're going to hook into, so you have to be prepared regardless. Are you going to yeah, be really I, mad at yourself because you left your big reel, rod and reel at home? Yeah, I see. I make sure that whenever I go, I've got it. Well, I like my. It's kind of like my money situation or my money, my money setup that I have ready to go at all times. I'm. You know, I go out. I've got my Abbott SX, which is by far, in my opinion, the best. I don't even care if it's a starter reel, advanced, whatever. If you're getting into offshore kayak fishing. Invest yeah, that's a good go-to reel for the for the kayakers for sure. It, it's the it's light, it's the right size. It's got a tough drag on, good line capacity. It's going to last. It's easy to clean, and uh, just doesn't quite have the line capacity for the sailing kayaks. But I, that's my favorite reel too, Jaron. It's I love fishing with that thing. Yeah, you know, having yeah. an SX made it up with like a seven and a half foot rod, and I'll have that with my my circle hook or whatever. That's kind of like my my bait rod and reel. And then the I like having a jig ready to go for vertical jigging. Uh, yep, yep. The, the rig legs. I like having. I also like, and I'm gonna be doing this a lot more. Andrew and I did it successfully in Florida, and that's storing more live bait on boat and having a rod and reel tied up with a live bait setup so that I can grab, a, say, a large mullet or a a big hardtail or something like that, and I can cast that out and pitch it out in front of something because live bait trumps dead bait any day of the week, and it yep. looks that much more when that bait fish is going to be scurrying off trying to get away from the fish. 
So if I get out there and I get around a rig and there's a cobia cruising, I'm I'm going to a live bait setup. Yeah, you'll get a more aggressive strike too with live bait, but it's it's hard to keep. It, it's one of the things that I'm going to try to incorporate this year, particularly when tarpon season gets here. I'm going to be carrying a, a way to to haul around live bait and keep it live. It's it's a good option to have when the fish are finicky, and you do see that a lot, particularly in mid mid to late summer. Right. Uh, you'll just get some well, fish that don't want to eat anything. I don't know if you've seen it, dude, but it's definitely worth your time, and it's and it's big enough to carry the larger mullet, the pony mullet and stuff that you want to use for the tarpon. But yeah. go check out the Jackson J crate and look at the modification that Jim Sammons has done to his because he basically turned it into what that old Shimano Bristol Bay live bait bag was. It has an right. external has an external pump on the outside to draw in and then an expulsion uh expulsion line on the outside for overflow. It's totally worth it, dude. Yeah, when summer hits, those high temperatures just kill your bait in a matter of minutes. So you, you have to have that, that pump circulating water. The aerators just don't work. Water no. heats up too fast. Yeah. No. Yeah, you're no. right there. You need to have something like that. I'm I'm gonna be forced to get get uh, kind of solutions to that. So I definitely want to use live bait. It's that's been lingering in the back of my mind. <laughs> Hopefully we won't need it though. Right. I prefer to I prefer to sight cast those big fish as you have you as you've seen already. But right. Let's see. Put yourself in the right situation. You can you can make the lures work very effectively. But hopefully we get a chance to do that again this summer. That's uh, that was exciting the last trip we made. So, hey Steve, um, we'll see how it goes. I was doing. I was looking up some stuff before we jumped on. I was just I typed in Steve Mullins offshore kayak fishing, and it took me back to a a post you did a long time ago about um, rigging rod holders. And I'm sure you remember the offshore rod flush mount rod holders. Oh yeah, with the bolt oh. in. Yeah, the bolt in. Dude, I think we might need to call Luther and just, you know, ask him for a little bit of credit for the rigging bullet. <laughs> because that was... Oh, really? A, <laughs> that was something, if you look at it, but that's before any of that was going on. Well, I'll put the link up to it on the on the check. It's kind of funny. But what we used to Oh, where we did the... Uh, yeah, that was the uh, reverse bolted rod holder, <laughs> flush mount, Scotty flush mount, where, on the Tarpon 160, where it didn't have yeah. an access to the back. You couldn't... You couldn't put a, a bolt and a washer underneath to secure it. You were just you were just using a rivets, which don't do that, guys. You're just going to lose your rod if you don't have at least. It's you get a big fish, it's going to rip it out. But we were uh, installing these flush mount rod holders, reverse bolting. Uh, there's a post on ACK's blog, for, I think what 2009 or something like that. Yeah, it works really well. It's just a essentially putting it in backwards, the bolts and what what. Well, now well. I mean it's like. It's one of those many things where now they actually have real rigging solutions for it. Like, like we don't have to steal milk crates anymore. And um, uh, yeah, you, know, you, you can, can go to get nice fancy milk crates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. You can go to Yak Attack and they have, Yeah, you can go to Yak Attack and they have rigging bullets where you don't have to do stuff like this anymore. But it was just funny. I was looking at that post. I was like, man, that's now, another good now, thing. These, times have changed. These, uh, the manufacturers are coming up with some interesting products, and it, it's definitely easier to get into the sport. You, you have an off-the-shelf product that works. You don't have to make these things homemade and uh, make something work that kind of does but really doesn't. But, you know, 
it's nice to see yep. that. It definitely makes it easy, and it it keeps it uh, keeps it interesting. I'm always looking at new gear to buy. That's aren't we all? Right. What's the next lure? The next reel? The next piece of equipment? Everybody's in search of that to give you that extra edge and to make it easier. So it's exciting I'll, to I'll, see. And, I'll tell you the next lure. It's over at rivertosea.com, Mr. Wiggly. Oh, yeah. Dude. Banjo that is that, that thing is bad, dude. I, Larry, That's a Larry Dahlberg design, and I watched him on the hunt for big fish use that lure for pretty much everything from cobia to tuna to you, you name it. And it's a pretty it's – a pretty, it's a pretty slick design. It's a free-floating lure with just one single treble hook. And when you hook up, it slides up the line, and they give you a couple of spares to go with it when you buy it. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. What's that lure called again? Mr. Wiggly. Okay. This, yeah, it's on rivertosea.usa.com. It is... Uh, yeah, I see it. It's, uh, it's the hooks... Yeah, the hook slides, their lure slides up the line, and essentially you just have the the fish uh, hooked with the lure, and it, there's nothing flying around in the fish's mouth and putting putting resistance on the hook or putting force yeah. against it to pull it out when the fish. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you could catch anything with lure, yeah. You could catch tarpon with that. You could catch everything. I mean, it might take you a little bit more patience with a tarpon, depending on what situation that you're going to be in, but. Remember, we were fishing barroom bay that one summer. Dude, I guarantee you, if that would have been a little bit more weighted, you threw that down, they would have hit that. Absolutely. Yeah, I like it. I just found it on the web, so surfing the web while you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's there's always these innovations every every summer. So you go into Bass Pro or Fishing Tackle Unlimited, Cabela's, wherever you shop, and you see these new lures, inevitably you, you come out with, $50 worth of new lures that may or may not get used. So it's always good to have them, though, right? Absolutely, dude. You got distracted by lures. I typed it in, and the first link that it came up on my Facebook was um, Cy Robertson's Unibrow, and I got lost for a minute and had to come back to you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> so there was just, there was just silence for me. So, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, but what's it re- it's going to be interesting to see it, this uh, software fishing thing is taking off. I mean, you get a lot of inquiries from the from customers at ACK. I know Andrew, but the, I think you're going to see more options from from kayak manufacturers here in the coming years for an offshore design boat, and well, that's obviously sure. exciting. So you'll see more well, people yeah, I mean, get into it. It's, you're starting to see it even more now because I mean. We think it's all this new thing, these new boat designs, but they've already been doing it overseas for a long time. With you know, you got Stealth, you got Kaskazi, you had Viking, yeah. and now they're just starting to all make their way over here. You know, what really kicked it off was the Ultra when Ocean Kayak brought that New Zealand design boat over, right. and then you start seeing the other ones. And well, now you've got uh, you've got Jackson with the Kraken coming out. You've got uh, Wilderness Systems with their new boat coming out. I wouldn't be if though if everybody's jumping in on that bandwagon, I'm pretty sure there are others that will follow suit. So this year ought to be really interesting at, at OR and after July when the model year flips and all the announcement announcements have been made, 
you know, going towards that. And it's it's exciting for all because they're starting to tap into a market that is budding and it's it's yearning for good boats and not just big, fat, wide, stable craft, which, you know, they have their place too, but, you know, it it's a developing market. It really is. And it's it's going to be good to see which way these guys go and they interpret that kind of fishing. Yeah, and the big thing though too is how much how much uh, water's out there. You can go offshore and you won't see a soul all day long. Where you go in the bay now, it's getting pretty crowded anywhere along the Texas coast now. So, you know, you can go offshore and be by your lonesome if you want, or be with a group and not have anybody within sight. So, people are going to pick up on that. It's going to take off even more. Well, I got a, I've got a question for you, man. So, one of the biggest things that people come into conflict with whenever they start getting into the sport is the intimidation of coming back into the surf. Personally, I surf it in. It's something I've practiced many a time. I take it in. I ride the boat sideways or uh, ride the wave sideways in my boat. It's something I've learned watching many a time on YouTube how it's properly done. But what are some of your tips? Well, if you're brave, you can use that bracing tip. But more importantly, before you even talk talk about coming in with your kayak, cut those treble hooks off, cut those lures off, and just come in with bare rod and reels. Don't have those treble hooks flailing around. That's the worst thing. You tump and you've got four rods with huge treble hooks dangling all around your legs and you're trying to get back and rough surf. <laughs> it's not a good option. Number two, make sure everything in your boat's tied down and leashed so you don't have to worry about, about you know, uh, trying to get all your gear back in the boat without losing it so it's just it's just removing those stress factors when something happens you don't have to worry about your gear you don't have to worry about being hooked that's those are huge and now you have to worry about is getting that boat turned back over and getting in who cares if you turned over well you maybe have to clean a few reels but that's the extent of it a little bit of pride is hurt but just climb back in the boat and keep going you learn from those mistakes but there's a few techniques coming in uh coming in bow first obviously that's the easiest way for for most people, you can use the paddle brace technique. That does work. It doesn't work so well with our surf, though. As you know, it's we get that sloppy surf. It's like a washing machine. Doesn't have a good doesn't have a good uh, face to the wave, and it's just it just kind of throws you around when you're coming in. So it is it's harder to do it here. I've been in the Pacific where you have those those larger waves, and it is easier to surf those larger waves until they start to break on you. Then. <laughs> Then you've got a little trouble on your hands, but it's just it's just something you learn how to overcome by paddling a little bit faster and stay stay ahead of the stay ahead of the curl in those ways. But sometimes I I go the conservative route, particularly if I'm in a a narrow boat, a longer boat, I'll come in backwards. A lot of people are going to laugh and wonder why you're doing that, but it, it's it's all a, a matter of perspective on how which which method you feel safer doing or more conservative back that boat and you some people have more control using that method not all but you know just like anything it takes practice in my opinion when it gets really rough you'll see me coming in stern first uh, and i'll be facing the waves just so i can control the boat and keep that boat perpendicular to the wave you're going to get beat up a little more but it's 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 better doing that than tumping the boat and potentially breaking your rods even if all your gear stowed, you still have a risk of losing something, and it's just it's just more cautious coming in coming in backwards sometimes. But I try not to do it. 
unless I have to. It takes more time. It's a little more work, but more importantly, everybody on the beach is going to be laughing at you when you get back, right? Well, so, good topic. But for those are really the only two ways that that I know of that I utilize. There's some other techniques cool, with using drift chutes and swimming boats in, but I don't know. It, if you practice without your, your equipment, just go to the beach on on a very rough day when you've got people out there with you. Don't do it by yourself. And just get out and practice. And just do what works. Gotcha. I agree. Whatever you're comfortable with. Everybody's have got fun. I mean, yeah, you have a blast when you do that. Just get out there with your, your PSD and your paddle. Maybe carry your radio. Go out there and have fun. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to tump that kayak a, a lot, but you're also going to learn how to handle it. You're going to learn how to surf and brace brace the kayak with that paddle and have some fun getting pushed in. Because, you, you, know, you know, when you catch that wave, you're moving about 12, 12, 13 miles an hour, and it picks up the speed very fast. Yeah, I agree. So it is exciting. Well, cool, it's just another element to, to being on the kayak. You don't have to catch fish to have fun every time. I agree. Well, well, dude, I... I really do appreciate you coming by tonight and, you know, just sharing some, some sharing some of the knowledge you've acquired over the years over the offshore kayak fishing. And I know if you've got an upcoming trip, but it's, it pretty much sounds like you do, uh, love to have you on again in like an offshore report every once in a while, kind of give everybody a heads up for what's kind of expected on the Texas coast, if you wouldn't mind doing some of that. Yeah, sure, anytime. It's about to, uh, about to liven up here very quickly when this low-pressure system for the weekend moves off. So you'll see some things happen here in, in the next two weeks for sure. Cool, man. Well, yeah. Again, you know, thanks for coming by. We'll we'll, we'll bring you back on in a, maybe a couple of weeks when you got a fishing report on. We'll uh, we'll see how everything is shaping up offshore. I have to make a trip down and uh, get in on something before before it's all said and done. Yeah, for sure, guys. Hey, thanks for having me. You guys have a good night. Yeah, you too, man. All right. Thanks, take please. care. Bye. Well, Andrew. I think you're thoroughly prepared for offshore kayak fishing now. Although you've done it now a handful of times. I like the you're going to fall out a lot comment. Uh, it's like it was directed it, towards me. And I took offense to it, <laughs> but it's okay. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, you remember when we went down to South Padre and we, we searched no, the first night we got there? That That was brutal. I mean, those are that was big sets. That was four or five foot. So, but other than that, I don't have anything else for tonight. Uh, I know next weekend we've got uh, another cat tournament that'll be on. We'll have some results from that tournament uh, live next week on Tuesday. Uh, I don't know of any other tournament that's coming up. I know Dustin's Dustin's will be what in June? It's like the first weekend in June. Lone Star Kayak Series, so we won't have anything on that. We'll we'll have uh we'll have we'll put up on the website the upcoming the week before registration cuts off so everybody that wants to fish that can get in on it if they'd like to. But uh other than that, Andrew, you got anything else that you wanted uh, to throw out there reminders for anybody? Hello? Maybe not. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I muted I muted you. I was done with you. No, so I'm gonna put up some funny links on the Facebook page, but that's all I got for tonight. <laughs> all right, man. Well, 
Thanks, everybody, for stopping by. Uh, this is Yak Fish in Texas. I am Jaron Wassel, joined with Andrew Moxagenba. Come by next week again, Tuesday, 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, 9 p.m. Eastern. We'll be back here on Kayak Fishing Radio. Until then, uh, take a kid fishing, tight lines. <laughs>